Hello everyone, Carter here, bringing you another episode of Out of the Hourglass presented by Nolan Consulting Group, a podcast dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop their teams, and build sustainable growth so that business operations don't run solely through them. We want to get business owners out of the hourglass. Today's episode features a conversation about resistance. NCG managing partner and business coach, Brian Nolan hosts with his brother Terrence by his side. We all face resistance in a number of ways each day of our lives. So how do we get through this? How do we navigate past the voice in our head telling us to procrastinate? Terrence has recently made a change in his life to a new position in an entirely new field, and joins Brian to discuss the resistance that he battled through in the time leading up to this change, as well as the resistance he faces each day in his new role. As you listen, consider the parts in your life, both business and personal, in which you face resistance the most. Thanks for listening, and as always, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Enjoy the show. Okay, welcome. Thank you, Carter, as always. Uh, I, am, I am joined today by a very special guest star, Terrence Nolan, the youngest of my siblings, the youngest of seven children, uh, and uh, as, a, as a very close brother, we talk almost every week about life's journey. Don't we, T? We, we do. We do. We talk about successes, what's in the way. Uh, he is an intellect. He is a, a, a Zen-type philosopher, uh, very deep thinker. Um, and uh, I always say that I think just deep enough is a good thing that I don't think is deep as Terrence, man. It goes, he goes really deep, don't you, T? Well, so a couple things there already, Bri. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you've been calling me special all my life, which I, uh, which does, I appreciate that. It does make me feel special. The poor and kid. The poor special. Kid. We, we left him. We, so, so I was number six out of seven. My twin brother, Michael, was five. Uh, we're seven and a half years older than T, and we left him home with mom and dad all by himself. Well, the real we truth... Never, the real truth is that I survived three drownings as a child, mostly, <laughs> mostly because of neglect. Uh, I think, as you'll see to, to the, this podcast, some of his thinking has been a little warped by those drownings. <laughs> some of the brain cells maybe explain. Being held underwater is different than not being able to swim. Exactly. He uh, currently works at Borrego Solar, um, uh, really changing the way we receive energy in this world. Um, and the idea for this podcast uh, came about not just because Terrence and I talk a lot about resistance and, and our lives and how, how it factors in, but uh, last week he, he afforded me a podcast uh, called the Rich Roll podcast, where Rich Roll interviewed the author of The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, um, which is a book that talks all about resistance, this, this force that um, holds us back. Uh, for Pressfield, it held him back from, from writing books for years. Um, so he's, he's discovered this force, and then we all realize that we all have this force that he calls resistance with a capital R. Um, it, Terrence uh, uh, mentioned that you should really listen to this book on Audible. Because, right there, why should you? Well, it's great. It comes in um, 
in bits and pieces in ways in very consumable audio you know, fragments. So you can listen to small, small portions of it and get a lot out of that. Um, also his voice is very, is a lot of integrity in his voice. It's accompanied by battle music at different times. It makes you feel charged up. But I was introduced by, to the book, The War of Art by You, Brian, more than a year ago. Uh, I bought that book for my colleagues at the time, a number of them. And then I sort of put it aside. Um, and it was only recently that I I picked it up uh, again and then bought the Audible version. So this is a timely conversation to have. And so um, we're going to do this podcast in sort of three sections, although we'll drift between them probably, T, as we want to rift a little bit. The first part is sort of talk about what is resistance and the takeaways from the book. Second part is we'll start to integrate where resistance has been in our lives, both big and small and um, how we overcame them. And then the third really is how we overcome resistance regularly, the tools I think that the two of us use on a regular basis to be mindful that uh, there's this force that stops us from becoming the best version of, of us, but that we can beat that. We can beat that. To get us started, what, what were uh, some of the major takeaways from this book that you, you got in terms of what is resistance? Well, um, I think the most significant takeaway for me in reading the book was the reality that there are no exceptions to, uh, to resistance. In other words, it, it applies to every you know, worthwhile endeavor for everyone in a sense. Um, so there's no individual that, 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 that skirts by life without uh, some form of adversity. That's sort of the, the nature of, of, of how we exist and how we come into existence is that we're we're, we're, you know, honest, uh, active work uh, almost always meets resistance. And so that's actually, it's actually good to know that because that gets you out of the, I've heard you guys talk about the victim mentality. There's no sense blaming anybody or anything for, 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 for the resistance that is only arising naturally because that's the, happens to be the world we live in. So that was like the first thing, like, oh, okay. So this is something that everybody goes through. It's normal. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Normal. I mean, and you shouldn't just because it, uh, something is difficult. And I, I can say this. I mean, sometimes you take a signal like this seems like it's too hard. Maybe I shouldn't do it. Um, so, you know, and it, it, it actually, no, that's not. I mean, that's going to be a signal. But that doesn't mean that you should listen to that. Everybody that's why faces you should that. Do it, actually, I mean, right. the more that you have this force not to do it means that's more of the reason why you should do it. Right. The other takeaway is that, you know, that he uh, uh, Stephen Pressfield, the author, talks about resistance almost as if it's an entity, like a force that you have to deal with, like suggesting it's sort of clever in a way. You know, it, 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 and anybody who's ever avoided a task will know uh, what that feels like, what procrastination feels like, what the difficulty of sitting down feels like uh, to actually do the work. So, um, you know, realizing what you're up against, also that you're up against it on a daily basis, right? So it's, it's something that you face. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think so this this idea that resistance is a thing and, and that it's separate from us is really important. And once you realize that it's a thing and that you don't have to own it, it's not you, then you can do battle. And yeah, but he's, he says he says it's separate. It may be separate from us, but he says it's generated out of the ego. So that's another that's a bigger. Terrence is so deep. 
That'll jump. We don't want to jump too quickly, though. I, I can't go that deep. Let me bring it back up. He says it's the most toxic, for, toxic force on the planet. He says the root of all unhappiness. It will tell you anything to keep you from doing your work. It'll perjure, fabricate, falsify, seduce, and bully. It will assume any form to deceive you. It will reason with you like a lawyer. How about that, Terrence? Right, right. It'll distract. It'll, it'll distract you and, and wear you down like only a lawyer can. <laughs> we know lawyers. We, we have lawyers in our family. Our, our dad's a lawyer. My uh, twin brother's a lawyer. Uh, so we know how they can debate. Well, part of my journey is also as a lawyer. You're a lawyer uh, too, Terrence. How did indeed. I that? Indeed. You, yes. Yes. I've had I've had multiple acts uh, career-wise, uh, all of which have invited uh, enormous amounts of resistance. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to get to one pretty soon about sort of, sort of the biggest resistance that you faced in your life um, that uh, you overcame recently. And I, I think um, I, I think we're going to jump right there. I, I think it's time to jump in. I, I think, you know, Terrence and I are tight. And so we talk a lot about what your purpose is on earth and, and how to make sure you're, you're honoring that. And uh, this most recent change he made um, was not a minor change at all that you had where you worked in one place for a long time and just began to have some unhappiness and the pebble in your shoe was speaking to you. And, uh, can you talk about that pebble and how it gnawed away at you and then how you held back because the force of resistance stopped you? What, yeah. what did that feel like? What, what, what was happening to you? Well, I should point out, it wasn't just a pebble in my shoe. It was also you talking to me, among other people. Um, uh, but it, it, so, Brian, that's a, a helpful pebble. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I just turned 50 last year this past November and I was uh, I was approaching the, my my uh, that milestone having been first a lawyer for some years um, and then gone and worked in land conservation in the nonprofit world for almost 15 years um, and having felt like I had reached a kind of milestone there like hmm what's next being a little bit a little bit trapped actually in the sense of growth and exp exploration and, and, and adventure. And also, um, you know, at age 50, I mean, feeling like I had a lot of energy uh, to dedicate another chapter, you know, but it was more than that. It was actually, I mean, that sounds nice and everything. It was actually a, a much more of a core signal, like whatever part of you or me, whatever part of me that wanted to continue adventuring and growing was being stifled in a sense. I, and I felt this sense like I just had to had to maybe make a shift. And, um, you know, uh, we talked about it actually with you. I talked about it with you. And the thing that you kept saying was uh, take 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 because it became clear that I had this opportunity in arising in renewable energy. But renewable energy market is still relatively new doing solar community solar, building community solar arrays, every um, community solar array that I am now involved in developing gets about uh, uh, 1200 homes sort of off fossil fuels and onto renewable energy. And, and so it's still a relatively new field, but um, you kept saying, take the shackles off, take the shackles off. And I realized 
that used to bother me, by the way, because you kept saying it, and I um, and I knew it was right. And I'd be like, ah, I don't, okay, sure. But then I looked and I realized what I actually had on were golden handcuffs. So golden handcuffs are like a way that you chain yourself to comfort. I felt like I had I had shackled myself to a sense of comfort. Everything I know has gotten to me me where I am right now. Um, why would I make it? Why would I want to make a change? I, I don't really want to make a change. How do I hedge my risk? And so a lot of the conversations we were having about that career switch were about, I kept telling you how I was trying to lay all these chess pieces on the board to hedge my risk, right? Like maybe I could find some backup income. Maybe I could do this. Maybe I could do that. Um, and you're just saying, you know, okay, but make the move, take the shackles off. And I'm like, damn it. Well, okay. you know, tall ships aren't meant to sail in the harbor. And, you know, at some point you take a risk knowing the competence you've developed and uh, those of us who know you know your, your not only your intelligence, but your uh, ability to work with people, to get deals done, to be focused. And um, so you got to, you know, unhitch yourself from the tether, if you will, and go out into the ocean. Yeah, which you did. And, and it's been scary. It's How's been it scary. Going? It's been scary. And the resistance was like super this is where resistance felt like a thing because I contrived every rationale for delaying and not making the move. And ultimately it's like being on this diving board and the, the pool looks cool, but it is cold. And you're like, okay, I just have to make the jump. And I made the jump and I, and I, I jumped out of a nonprofit career into a for-profit career that is extremely competitive, really dynamic and exciting. But I was a senior vice president where I was before um, and I walked into being a senior project developer. Um, but I had like exa examples of things immediately that became difficult. In addition to joining a new company with, you know, 400 people in a, in a pandemic, right? Because this decision was coming up. And I wonder for a lot of people whether the last year has offered uh, moments for these kinds of decisions, right? Because this has been a year that's tested everybody. And I felt like, you know, this was a somehow the last year pushed me into this making this decision, but joining in a pandemic, I've only actually still only met three of my colleagues in person. Um, uh, I've got an enormous team of people that I need to work with as a project developer to get my projects done, and they are all, you know, at this point, most of them are Zoom faces on Zoom. Um, there's a, a complicated process uh, that I have to learn around how to permit a, a solar company. I used to have, as a senior vice president, uh, a full-time assistant whose job it was to say, I would say, hey, do you know where the envelopes are? And she would say, yeah, the envelopes are right over there, and I'll complete the envelope and mail it for you. Now, there's no one, other, if, unless I get two hand puppets together, there's no one to talk to. Um, so I end up having to do the mailing myself. I have to end up having to do all the admin work you know, on my own. Um, some of my colleagues who do this work are 15 years younger than me. So and the uh, prospecting you have to do. I mean, you every day you get up and you, you have to make your own world, right? You've and you've got you've got goals you, you have to hit, and they're aggressive. Yeah, and, yeah. They're up, they're, the upside is is great, but the but there's a lot of uh, aggressive goals. Anybody who's involved in sales knows this. Uh, so I have to generate. You know, I'm looking at generating. Uh, you know, at least three deals a month. These are brand new deals. Big out of, deals, right? These are big solar projects. These are, these are, you know, from the handshake, well, no handshake now, but from the introduction to a landowner to getting them to sign a, a term sheet to say, hey, I'm interested in leasing my property uh, for solar. And that's got to happen three times uh, 
uh, for me every month, one of those signed term sheets. Um, and then I have to actually, the ones that have been, that I signed last month, those have to be advanced through the process. And every one of those individual projects has maybe 40 or 50 steps to follow through. So you can bet that in it, the resistance is big time. The thing I learned was that when you take the leap, and this comes back to the book, when you take the leap, you realize that there's things that energy or for, forces come in to help, to assist. So one of the first things that happened to me after making this choice was suddenly I felt super energized. Like I was so excited about it that now I started rising the occasion in a way that I hadn't been in my former job. That's how it felt from an energetic level. You know, the part of the book talks about professional versus amateur and you become a, a pro. Uh, in, in fact, uh, his next book after War of Art is called Turning Pro. Um, and a, a pro seeks order. A pro acts in the face of fear. Pro has no excuses. They play it as it lays. They're prepared. They don't show off. They ask for help. Uh, they, they don't take failure personally. This is, this is big, right? If you have to do three big deals a month, how many times you told no a day, T? Oh, a lot. And not only that, but I didn't get any deals for the first two months. So uh, not freaking out at the time uh, and actually continuing to apply the process and not taking each no personally, finally the deals started coming in. So let, let's sort of go into maybe... Um, a little bit of, of this third section, then we'll come back. How do you deal with this on a daily basis when you have adversity or, or you have, you're told no? What, what tools do you use to, to beat this resistance, this, oh no, what decision did I make? Should I really have left the comforts of my old job? How do you rationalize against this thing that is rationalizing that, oh no, maybe I blew it? Well, I mean, that's why I'm on the podcast, Brian, because I'm not sure. I thought maybe I'd learn here. <laughs> if you would tell me, that would be helpful. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, I'll start because I think you have a lot to say on this too. Um, what I would say is that, again, going back to this, no one should think, I, I'm not privileged. Like everybody's got their own resistance. I have my own resistance. So get over it. Like don't take it personally, right? So here it is. There it is. That doesn't mean that I don't still play tricks to avoid having to do the work, but there's, I've put myself in a situation where uh, I have no, um, th uh, there's no uh, other choice. Uh, in other words, like I, I put myself into a situation that absolutely requires me to overcome resistance. Okay. I, I, let's come back to this. Uh, talk about when you were a kid, you, you told me this. Well, let me tell you about Mrs. Cazetti because I told you the other one before. So my first, my first experience, I actually have really early memories of resistance that, uh, uh, but the first one that I remember being like a really public example of resistance was I was, I, I think, you know, our mom, a wonderful mom who passed away in November, um, who passed away this past you know, last year, um, used to send lunch to school with me every day in the first grade. Right. But there was something about the lunch. Like there were certain things in that lunch that she would send that I didn't, I didn't want. Right. And I would take that thing, whatever it would be. And I would shove it into the back of my desk every single day, Mrs. Cazetti, first grade. So every day I get, 
I get an orange. I'm like, I'm not into that orange today. And you shove it in the back of the desk. And then the next day would be like, well, that peanut butter and jelly sandwich looks kind of disgusting. Let me shove that next to the orange. So now comes, this begins, this behavior begins like in January. Now comes like, you know, the warmer months. And Mrs. Cazetti, she's like, Mr. Nolan, your desk stinks. There's something coming out of your desk. So she has, she reaches, she looks in, she finds, she sees the edge of this garbage heap, this horizontal garbage heap, and and makes me go get a trash can and empty my desk out for the whole class. Now, why? <laughs> I don't know. I felt the need to tell that story. I think because I I felt I feel like some of resistance has to do with avoidance and procrastination and shoving things in piles, right? Um, so that's that's a, that's a story. Well, the, the other, I got others. Other story that I think is worthy is uh, not doing your homework and what when you ended up hiding in the coat closet each day when so, you came around to collect the homework. So this is the fifth grade now where I I gotten more sophisticated realizing that food spoils, right? So it's hard. It's easy to be found out. So the this in this case it was I get my homework uh, at night. I look at the homework. I say to myself, ah, I could probably do this on the bus in the morning, and then. I get on the bus in the morning and be like, ah, ah, I'll get to class. I'll figure it out. Then we get to class. The teacher says, it's time, Mrs. Kirby, uh, she'd say, my science teacher, it's time to hand in your homework. Now I stealthily sneak to the back of the, of the, of the classroom and act like I'm looking for my homework, but I get in all behind the coats in the coat closet until she gets by my desk. And then I see she's cleared the desk and then I go back and sit down. I actually pulled that off a few times. Because it was exhausting, I think, fighting my own resistance, even for her. Oh, that's beautiful, Terrence. Great, great stories. And so, you know, one of the things that you do to, to beat it is you don't make as many decisions. Um, one of my favorite things to talk about lately is make fewer decisions and save, save decision-making for the big things. Like, don't make decisions about whether or not you're going you're gonna to work out today or what you're going to eat, um, or, or what you're going to wear, or whether or not you're going to do, do some homework. Set your plan and do the plan. If you look at all endurance athletes and, and champions, they, they follow a plan. And they probably have resistance, but they don't let it in, right? If you don't right. make decisions, you don't even give it a chance to argue in court. It's not even there. Right, totally. You know, build build uh, positive feedback loops you know, with habits. That makes sense. Yeah. When I'm at my best is when uh, I've got a goal and I've and I've I've illuminated a path backwards for what is likely going to end up being able me to hit that goal. What behaviors do I have to work on to hit that goal? Right. And you do that. If it's cold out, you just put on something. If it's raining out, you still run. Um, and I think a lot of our siblings are are that way, T. You know, certainly. Oh, yeah. If you look at Michael. Kevin, I mean, Michael just ran uh, 12 miles to work in the blizzard a month ago. Yeah. And yeah. I said, is he my brother? Well, and here's where being the youngest was been, it was always challenging, especially since when, you know, I was like little, they were bigger and I would try to keep up with them. But Michael just got us all signed up on this adventure race that goes from the Hudson River, the mouth, you know, from the, or the headwaters of the Hudson River, all the way down to the mouth of the Hudson and Battery Park City. And like, you know, peer pressure, I hardly even looked at it until I signed up for it. And I just re only recently realized what we're in for. But th that's a good example. It's a good example. It is. It is. But, but what we learn is that once we endure, we are stronger. 
Um, we also know that it's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, and um, we also know that, that growth and comfort don't coexist. That's one of my favorite things to, to uh, say. So when, if some, so he would say in the book, the more uncomfortable something is to do, the more you know you should do it. Yeah. I yeah. think that's one of the things that always strikes me. If it's even given feedback to people, I think that's a resistant area. Like people hold back on giving, giving feedback on a regular basis um, when you know you should, but you don't. And right. or you're not being honest and honoring that person. Let me just say about that honesty is actually, I think, really important in how you look at, you know, your, not only your life, but how you choose to spend your day. Um, and it's the difference between having a thought or a dream about being your best self and actually undertaking the, um, the steps in the direction of that outcome being actually being your best self right and because i've spent a lot of time reading about this stuff you know practicing in quotes you know but are you really practicing are you living kind of living what you're like what's the whole point right unless you you're you're being meant to like be here to bring your best self to the work in front of you otherwise you're just kind of uh, you're missing the game. You're missing the opportunity, and and so and so in that in that regard, resistance is kind of a, the fight, the work, the battle is kind of honorable. And he talks about the hero's journey and how, because we all face our own path and our own challenges and our own resistance, you know, life is complicated, right? We are all engaged in this kind of hero's journey to be the best that we possibly can be, and we shouldn't short be short-sighted about how honorable that is for right. every person that's so much i mean it, it's what we're meant to be um i mean this is this is probably my favorite part of, of this podcast because a few years ago i really got into this, this concept of writing down the best version of yourself so I'm, I'm not talking about a vision a primary aim of where you're going i'm talking about today right now this week mm. um you know Matthew Kelly, um, one of my favorite authors, wrote the book called Resisting Happiness. And that's where this, this element came from, um, which so he also attacks this resistance thing. So a few years back, I, I wrote down a several page document that was or is the best version of me. Um, and it's a challenge every week to be that. Um, and it it touches all aspects of my life as a leader, as a father, as a husband, um, a community person, what I'm meant to do. Mm -hmm. That's become such a compass that that is a powerful thing to do. It's challenging because it's hard to live up to, but you always come back to it. And by the way, you never beat yourself up when you lose to resistance, mm -hmm. you lose regularly. Yes. You never beat yourself up. Right. You recognize like, okay, you won that one. I'm going to get the next one. Oh yeah. No, I know. Believe me. And sh shame has a role there, right? The shame is meant to like point out something and then boom, once it's pointed it out, drop it. Right. Drop it. It, 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 yeah. Like that point about, about why it's hard. It's hard because you, you, you fail. If you, you're not a, you fail, you make mistakes, things happen. It's, it's a practice. It's not a, it's not an outcome, 
That's right. Uh, right. That's right. It's a journey, always. Uh, and though you know the way you you also beat this, you also win this journey, is by talking to yourself, not listening to yourself. Right. So right. The deliberate voice. Yeah. So when you listen to yourself, you're listening to resistance. You're listening to your self-limiting beliefs. You're listening to your history of when things didn't go well and the thoughts that go through. When you're talking to yourself, you're talking about what is the best version of me. How do I think the the person I am? Uh, and so I I I talk to myself regularly. It actually, it actually stems from the book "What to Say When You Talk to Yourself" by yes. Shad Helmstetter. Yes, uh, we talk to ourselves apparently about forty thousand times a day. We talk to ourselves. And a lot of that um, is coming from reacting to subconscious thoughts that are not necessarily healthy. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and whether you are aware of it or not, you're talking to yourself that many times a day. Exactly. And, and so um, better to be aware of it, which brings up mindfulness. Like it's, it's recognition that I'm not that voice that is talking back at me. Uh, I can, I can create a space to respond rather than to react. And in the response, I can introduce a new narrative and, and, and that new narrative or that new operating instruction is about sort of that neural pathway, right? We talked about that too, like how one is, and this is what's awesome about life, which is, I think as kids, we were taught that the brain basically stops changing early on in life, right? But what's learned now in the new science is that the brain is constantly changing. It's kind of like a record in a groove. Uh, if you can reorient those pathways, you can actually change the inclinations, the habits, the instincts. I mean, that, that's the best news of our error, I think, right. is you're not stuck. Freedom. I, used to, I used to hate the fact like you are when you're, when you're five years old, that's the person you've become. Uh, right. But that's not the case, scientists have proven. Right. And, and for you, <laughs> me too. Um, and for, for the talking to yourself piece, it's like you're kind of giving your brain new operating instructions, right? Mm. Uh, and, and then you're backing it up with actual experience. So you have the instruction, then you have the feeling tone of the actual experience itself. But there's no substitute for the experience of going through it, being willing to go through it. You know, you said something earlier about about giving yourself space uh, and time to respond. One of my my uh, favorite affirmations that I say is, uh, "I'm aware of stressful situations and choose not to entertain them." Mm. So, uh, a lot of times on a Monday morning, if I go into work pre-COVID times, this is when this started. I felt like there was a lot of things at me. Right, I had client calls. I had uh, the bookkeeper needed me. Someone else needed to talk to me. I'm like. Oh wow, and I'm I'm a little beat up from a weekend of a warrior, and um, so sometime about a year and a half ago, I I started this this um, force field that uh, allowed six feet or more, um, where I didn't let those stressful thoughts in. I, I became a witness to those thoughts. I became a, a witness to what's happening. When you become stressful, it's when you you overreacting to the environment as opposed to being aware of, oh, wow, that's interesting. That's me. Yeah. Interesting. yeah. The stuff is happening. Um, but I choose to step above and not entertain them into my psychic. Yeah. And sort of engross me and make me feel awful and anxious 
right? And hey. um, that's a daily, daily thing. That's that is peace when you can get to that point. I, I'm thinking about a lot of your listeners, right, and a lot of your clients, and and you know, it gets to a point where life is is complex, where there's so much responsibility that people are shouldering, right? Where you can't afford you can't afford not to be to be present. You, you, you can't afford anymore to be on autopilot. And that is something that I tell myself, you can't afford to be on autopilot anymore. Yeah, you have to take present accountable responsibility for your actions. Now, that doesn't mean, like we said before, you don't fail, because that actually happens all the time. As soon as you start noticing it, you start noticing how often you slip back, but you got to come, you got to snap back. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I think at some point in life, you realize that in order not to do damage to yourself or to the people you love around you, in order to play that role that you want to play of benefiting the relationships that you have and and benefiting the world, like the only choice is actually to bring that present, be, be present. Like don't follow every dramatic thought because it's entertaining or because, you know, or recognize that stressful situations, if you're not careful, can actually pollute your thinking and now you're that's you all you are is distressed yeah and so for for people listening to this i mean the first step is to realize that thoughts are transitional right come and go it's like smoke and you don't have to inhale them you right. watch them go by and that is really important is, just, is that these thoughts are just are, are things and they're outside of you and i don't know at what age we were told we had to own all of our thoughts um, but that's certainly how I grew up. I, I, I wish I had learned at a much earlier age that, oh, that's just a thought. That'll go yeah. away. That'll go away. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, that, that's one of the first, that's the first, take the shackles off, right? Yeah. If, you if you believed every thought, and I did for a while, and I still do sometimes, right? Because um, some thoughts are very convincing. Um, that, that's like a recipe for, for misery because your thoughts, your brain is like a thing that produces thoughts. That's its job. <laughs> and, and it's like just the way your body does things like, you know, you walk, you eat, uh, you do, you talk, your brain produces thoughts. Apple trees produce apples. So, so use that as an instrument, as a, a way of cultivating, a, like see it as a garden, you're cultivating your thoughts in a sense. Like certain ones you're like, nah, I already know that's kind of a useless thought. That's, that's, that's a thought that's circa, you know, 1976, uh, Mrs. Cassetti. So I'm going to put that, as, I'm not going to follow that thought anymore. And I'm going to go with this new one, which is more representational of who I am right now. You know, so, so to sort of bring this full uh, circle, um, I think a good place to start is to identify where resistance is showing up in your life daily. Yeah, every morning. Where is it? Yeah. Where is it? Um, and that um, it is separate. And then um, make a decision how you want to do battle with it and, and then be deliberate. One of my favorite uh, quotes is discipline is remembering what you want. And uh, so remembering what you want uh, is part of what you're doing battle with. I think some of the small things we deal with on a daily basis include exercise. Uh, for me, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm a big exerciser, but it still seems to come last. It doesn't come first enough uh, for me personally like I, yeah. I didn't exercise this morning i uh, resistance won this morning it just mm. i didn't i didn't exercise and i'm thinking about it. i said well I'll, I'll i'm gonna run 10 miles this weekend with my family so i so that's okay so i don't have to run now i'm gonna do it then um 
you know, quitting diets, uh, telling people you love them. I mean, I always find this to be to be interesting. We we hold back from telling people we love them. I mean, our family members. I don't know why. It, saying you're sorry, we we hold back from saying our, our sorry to people more often. Being being vulnerable. Uh, yeah. We hold back there. Resistance doesn't want that because that resistance tells you that will make you weak if you're vulnerable to people. These are things that you'll you'll deal with every day. You know, on the family side of things, if I could say something about that, which is yeah. um, we come out of such a great family and we're lucky, right? Because we had really great parents. Um, I You have to, like, it's important to bring your best self to your family first. Mm. Um, like sometimes I've gotten caught in the place where I'm like, I, I'll bring my best self to work, but when I get home, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go real, I, you know, I, I just want to get a beer and go relax. Let me, let it, leave me alone. Right. Actually, it's really the most important place to bring your best self is in your family. I, I, I learned some of these lessons late in life, right? I, I know I haven't always been that way. I, I've, I haven't always brought my best self to my, to my family, but now I'm realizing, Oh my God, my kids are getting older. I, you know, I love my wife. She, uh, was a cornerstone Shelby to making this choice to take a huge pay cut, which is the other piece of this, this career change. I took in a very significant pay cut during a pandemic for promise of future uh, upside. If I could really follow through. So your family is your, if you can make that investment, your family in whatever form is, is the most, is such an important investment. You know, and that, that, that speaks to um, your work should serve your life and make sure that your life is really defined by, by the ones you love and, and you know, family. Um, Terrence, I, I wanna sort of um, bring us to the end of this, of this podcast. It's, it's been a blast. Uh, you're gonna join us uh, quarterly in our quarterly uh, philosophical discussion of, of life and the journey that you're on and uh, where, where you've beaten through resistance and gotten these deals and uh how you're saving uh the world from greenhouse gases oh man anything you want to add to this terrence i just want to say thank you i enjoy the this podcast and i listen to it it's so cool to have a chance to be to be on it to talk to you and uh i was telling you earlier today you know stuff happens to me on a regular basis that's that's uh sort of you know fun, like funny things happen to me that are sort of semi-tragic, but, you know, I end up okay. Happened to me all the time. So if you want to, I told you about getting caught in the mud in a car last week and getting yelled at. So, uh, so I'd love to come back, love to come back. I listen to the podcast all the time. I'd love to, to check in. I appreciate it, brother. Life is messy. Let's clean it up. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Terrence. Love you, Appreciate pal. it. Thank you. Love you too. Take Bye-bye. care, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business consulting firm with coaches located around the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.